the idea of, of storytelling, particularly sharing pieces of my own narratives and experience actually came out of, you know, my own experience with burnout um, and residency. So I, I didn't kind of set out to be a storyteller. I didn't even know what narrative medicine was. But what I was feeling was just this kind of loss of self, um, the depersonalization of medicine. And, you know, to have that experience so early on in my career, it, it scared me. This is the Visible Voices Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Risa Lewis. Before we get started, here's a word from the founder of Broomdocs Podcast. G'day, I'm Dr. Casey Parker. Check out the Broomdocs Podcast. I strive to bring excellent critical care to our rural, remote, and Aboriginal people in tropical Australia. I like to translate evidence into rural healthcare. There's a lot of cases and some real cool ultrasound pearls. Hi, listeners. Thank you so much for joining. And in today's episode, I'm in conversation with Dr. Ashley McMullen. Our topic is storytelling, narrative medicine, and lots of goodness. Ashley is an assistant professor of medicine at UCSF. She's a primary care internist based at the San Francisco VA Hospital. She's from Houston, Texas, and self-identifies as a lifelong book nerd. Aren't we all? Her work focuses on the role of narrative and storytelling in medical education, and she uses this as a mechanism for healing, advocacy, and improving care across differences. Now, you may know her, and you may know her voice. Why? Well, she served as the host and producer of the Nocturnist's Black Voices in Healthcare series. By the way, that series won a 2021 Webby Award. She recently launched another podcast. This is entitled The Human Doctor. It's a storytelling podcast that she hosts with Dr. Kimberly Manning. Now let's get to the conversation where I've asked her to talk to the audience about The Human Doctor podcast. It's interesting reflecting back on it. I mean, we we started it, I guess it was a little over a year ago, um, you know, after the Black Voices series, um, you know, and and the, the, the success and you know, the, um, the energy that came out of, uh, working on that platform, it was kind of like this sense of, okay, where do we take it from here? And I don't know if you recall the last episode of that series was, um, you know, a conversation between me and Kimberly, just kind of reflecting back on, you know, these, these, uh, these different stories and the episodes that we curated and how we, uh, our, our take, our takeaways from each of those things. And it was just kind of like recognizing this, this, chemistry that was there and, you know, the, the joy of that, that conversation recognizing that, you know, Kimberly and I have, you know, some very obvious similarities, but a lot of differences. And, um, you know, there's a lens uh, that comes with being a black woman in academic medicine, um, but also like the narratives that we bring with us. Um, you know, we, 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 have these uh, very different perspectives <laughs> on life, but still have, um, you know, able to come together and, and curate this, this friendship and this bond. And, you know, it just seemed like a pretty cool idea to be able to share a little piece of that connection that we have together with other folks in the audience. And we're both at a point um, where we're pretty comfortable sharing those pieces of ourselves that we might not normally put out <laughs> in the world. Sometimes I surprise myself um, because when we're, Talking. So the show is, is as Kimberly and I um, kind of, you know, just having a conversation about different aspects of life and medicine, education, um, you know, our, our personal experiences 
growing up. Um, and I sometimes forget that in those conversations, I'm putting it out there like in the internet and then people will tell me, I'm just like, I, I heard you and I like heard this story and I wanted to like talk to you about it. And I forget that it was like, oh, I shared that with everybody. Um, so it's a kind of a cool experience. Um, and it, it's empowering again to, um, to model that in ways that I, I hope to, um, shape, uh, you know, the future of what I, would hope to be in, in medicine, medical, medical education, and also just humanity in general. Um, so yeah, it, it, it started off a little, um, you know, trying to figure out like the vibe, the rhythm. Um, and now we're kind of at the point where we, we don't actually do any preparation. <laughs> we just know we, we kind of uh, take turns each week telling a story. Um, we kind of keep it um, centered around particular themes of, again, like medicine, uh, clinical work, education, and um, we don't tell each other what the story is going to be beforehand. Uh, we just hop on the mic and start talking, <laughs> and it's become a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Audience, full disclosure, uh, Ashley and I had a little bit of a pre-meet. Well, it was an email where I was like, hey, would you feel comfortable? What do you think about sharing a story on the episode? And I gave like four or five tag words uh, about which to select a story. And um, I'll let you take it, take it from here, Ashley. Um, we'd love to hear your story. Of course. You know, telling a story, you know, sometimes it can feel like, um, like a lot of pressure, like you got to come up with like this very well curated narrative. And I, I, I recognize that, um, you know, communicating his stories is, is a natural way that we we connect. And all of us, especially if you've lived long enough, have have stories that you've accumulated over time. Um, and so I can I I have friends that will call me and say, Risa, I need I need I need a story. I need a story. I don't have any stories. I'm like, you hundred percent have stories. What are you talking about? But they don't know how to jog that out of their memory. Yeah. And then I was like, you know, haven't you gone to the ice cream shop and picked your favorite flavor ice cream? Tell a story about why you, you know, like chocolate and not vanilla or strawberry, not butter pecan. But mm -hmm. um, I do think there's an openness that develops the, of telling stories that they, they come to you easier. Like, I think they come, do they come to you easier now than maybe they would have five years ago? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Because you start to, you, I mean, you, you become a little bit more reflective, you know, and you recognize that, you know, each day, each interaction, each kind of lesson learned is an opportunity to, to share that. And when you think about, you know, picking up the phone and, and calling your best friend, you're like, girl, you're not going to believe what happened to me today. Like, you know, this is what storytelling is. And, you know, we just don't necessarily call it as such, or we, you know, we feel like if we're, in a certain setting that it has to be like some, some polished, like editorialized way of communication, but really like stories speak for themselves. And that's why stories are so powerful is that, you know, people can't necessarily argue or pick apart your experience. It, it just is. And, you know, you, everybody's going to take that story and kind of see it differently depending on their life lens. And, and that's okay. That's the beauty of it. Um, so I think, you know, one thing you have to always come in with is a level of humility um, and recognizing that, you know, what, what makes humanity so awesome is that we are different and that we, ex we share experiences, but we interpret them differently and we can come together and share that with each other and learn from each other. And so now when someone tells me to, or asks me to share a story, I was like, 
you know, sure, I got stories for days. You know, it might not be as interesting to you as it is to me, but <laughs> I'm always happy to tell it. So, yeah. Cool. And I think um, the word you thought that maybe you'd center something on is trust. Yeah. I um, I looked at, you know, some of the, the ideas that you put out there, some of my own ideas, but that one I just kept coming back to because, you know, it's such a integral theme in, um, I mean, especially in medicine, but in life in general. Um, and, you know, I think about trust now, especially in the context of, you know, COVID-19 and, and all the, um, you know, again, I, I, I try to limit my social media use, but, you know, it seems like every time I log into Twitter, it's, you know, a lot of just consternation with, with misinformation, with, um, you know, the, the frustration with, with folks declining vaccination or declining to, to hear certain aspects or recommendations and take those to heart. And, you know, it, it, it reminded me of kind of um, the sacredness of trust and, and recognizing that, you know, it's not a given, um, you know, you can come in guns blazing with all your degrees and background and just like, you know, when you start the, the messages, you know, as, as a person with this background or this knowledge, like, this is my opinion. And it's just like, yes, there is, um, there is a level of respect that that begs when you're someone who has been doing, you know, work for a long time, but recognizing that, you know, everybody has a reason, a reason for taking certain information in and, and, you know, the way that they interpret it. And, you know, as experts, you know, it's on us not only to, um, you know, present and like present information to the public, but also take the time to try to understand like where people are coming from. And so that is what kind of sparked um, my memory in terms of a, a patient interaction that I had um, in residency if uh, if I could share a little bit, it's a it's a short story. Yeah, <laughs> I I remember you know, and I I my my second and third year of residency like blends together. It was like there was intern year, and then there was the rest. <laughs> so this was some time outside of intern year, and for folks perhaps who who aren't um, as familiar with with medical training. So after medical school, you um, you get your degree, and then you do what's called a residency. And so this is where you kind of get your on the job training and your in the specialty of your choice. And so. For me, it was internal medicine, um, which is, you know, kind of broad uh, care for adults um, and with a specific focus in primary care. And so um, intern year is your first year of residency. It can tr traditionally be a little bit harder because the learning curve is so steep. And then I felt like maybe a second and third year is when I got my wings a little bit. Um, and so I uh, spent a lot of time um, or a sizable proportion of my, my training in the outpatient setting. So in clinic, because I wanted to be a primary care clinician. So I took a lot of pride in my work, um, you know, having my, my own set of patients in clinic and being, you know, their doctor, their primary care doctor. Um, and there was always a, uh, a level of satisfaction that came with having patients with whom I shared racial concordance. Um, for many folks, um, you know, I'm, I'm the first black doctor that they're seeing. Um, and these are people who are generations ahead of me. And so they've lived a long life and are at a point where they're, you know, seeing a doctor who embodies um, some important identities that they have. And, you know, it's usually a very, um, a very joyful moment for me uh, and the patient as, as well. But I remember, um, you know, I had one patient um in my, my later years of residency 
who came in. Um, she was a woman who was older and uh, we shared uh, the same race and she had avoided the medical system for a long time. Um, she had finally come in to seek primary care after several chronic medical conditions had gotten to the point that they were causing a lot of pain and symptoms. Um, and it was actually um, her family members who really kind of pushed her <laughs> to make an appointment. Um, and so in my mind, reading kind of the, 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 the chart beforehand, before the, the, um, the visits, I had kind of, kind of, in my, um, come in with the approach. It was just like, this is, this is great. You know, she'll so see somebody that she can trust. It'll be a good experience for her and me. And we can, you know, these are, these are problems that are treatable. Um, and so I enter the room kind of expecting a lot of what I'm used to, uh, which is like, oh my gosh, like you're my doctor. Like, and uh, it wasn't that <laughs> it, uh, it was very obvious that she was um, still, you know, uncomfortable that, you know, she, she was there not necessarily of her own volition, but, you know, felt like she kind of had to be um, a lot of the words and suggestions that I were making were met with a little bit of skepticism. Um, she wasn't, you know, as forthcoming as I would have maybe hoped for or anticipated. And, um, you know, for the, for the first time, it kind of like struck me in a way to, to think about, it's just like, you know, what's, is there something I said, is there something wrong? And to take a couple steps back and, you know, just ask the question, like, what's been your experience with, um, with healthcare? And uh, even kind of like within that, with the implication of just like, you know, it doesn't seem like you're, you're buying what I'm selling. Like, you know, you don't seem to trust me. <laughs> and, um, you know, she shared a little bit. It wasn't a lot, but it was kind of like the implication of just like, you know, again, kind of opening up the space to tell me what, it, what, like, what is your story? And this is a person who had grown up in the deep South and based on her age, I assume had come up somewhere in the uh, Jim Crow era. And basically her experience with the healthcare system was one that was not only negative, it was frightening. And I could tell just in the way that she was speaking that it was something that had caused a deep woundedness, like in her spirit. And regardless of how I presented outwardly, I was still a part of a system, um, a system that embodied some very deep injustices that she had experienced growing up. And so me showing up bright eyed, bushy tailed with, you know, a badge that says doctor does not dispel that. Um, and it humbled me very quickly to recognize that, you know, this is a process that comes with curating a relationship. And that relationship comes with, again, both humility and also creating space to understand where this individual was coming from, um, to recognize my own presumptions um, and my own personal narrative that I was bringing into room and having to, you know, pick that apart and, you know, recognize like where I'm coming from, where she's coming from, and how can we build a trusting relationship. And so this is something that started over time, um, you know, creating space within each visit to try to open up um, to hear a little bit more and more about 
her story, her narrative, where she was coming from and understanding where I could meet her in the middle. And we did get to a point where there was a, um, an openness to, you know, my suggestions around medical intervention. Um, you know, this was uh, a case with a, a happy ending in which, you know, luckily some things that had gotten under control were easily mitigated with a few medications, a few interventions. And um, more than anything, I learned a lot about how to approach individuals, even, you know, regardless of whether we shared identities such as race or other otherwise. And, um, and the power of creating space for narrative within the medical setting to know how to intervene in ways that, you know, meet people's needs and to slow the process down. That's the other hard part about medicine, especially in primary care is you like always got to do, do, do and, you know, fix things. And we're not trained to, you know, not necessarily fix, but to, to listen, to create space, to heal in ways that don't just focus on metrics of, you know, disease. Um, and that's something that, you know, really, I mean, I'm still, this is still a learning process for me uh, a couple years later, but that interaction really kind of put me on the path to learning that lesson well. What strikes me is, um, the walking in the room and feeling the energy. And you can tell pretty quickly, trust, not trust. They trust me. They don't trust me. And I do think like we're caught off guard or sometimes confused. Like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you don't feel that immediate feeling of trust. Um, and I, I really like the way you're like, all right, let me figure this out. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and also just sometimes we're seeing ways that we don't see ourselves, or we're seen to have alliances and be part of groups that, yeah, we're part of those groups, but we, we feel like, oh, no, but my allegiance is obvious. My loyalties and where I belong is obvious. And, you know, not necessarily, not necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it also kind of, as I was reflecting on this, it also reminds me of, you know, when we, we do this work, which a lot of, um, you know, thankfully a lot of institutions are really starting to engage a little bit more, at least um, recognize the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, which has, like many things, become kind of a, a buzzword that's, you know, lost a little bit of its potency over time. But I think, you know, there's a tendency to anchor on representation, which is incredibly important um, and should be a priority, but you have to recognize so much so that the buck does not stop there. And that's one of the things that I also love about being able to work with Kimberly is that, you know, being two black women in medicine, we are bringing very different perspectives and vantage points into a clinical setting. And so having the assumption of, you know, embodying one identity or one narrative that's going to dispel all issues of mistrust is um, very short sighted. And so it, it, it elevates the notion that it does not matter, you know, what you look like, what your experience has been from, you know, point A to, to point now, everybody has a role to play to um, work towards the environments where, you know, people can come in and not only see themselves represented, but feel like there's space for them to be seen as an individual and be respected and, and met where they're at. To that end, I think that's part of the power of how you've titled the podcast, The Human Doctor. And I think uh, 
directly, indirectly, each episode, you and Kimberly do that. You're like, yeah, we're two black women in medicine, but we're different. And look at me as my human individual self. Mm -hmm. Um, can I share a little story about trust? Yes, please. My stories are a little different than yours in that my interactions in the emergency department are briefer and quicker. And sometimes they, they do necessitate action in ways that I think perhaps a primary care visit, um, uh, necessitates and or allows. So when you selected trust, I was like, trust, 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 trust. And I was like, bingo. I also want to highlight that I, I, I sent the trust um, confirmation last night, so I didn't give you a lot of time to think about it. So th thank you for being willing to uh, work with my, um, my poor email etiquette. No, no, no. So, okay. I was a fourth year resident and I did a four year emergency medicine residency and my colleagues were moonlighting. And I thought, so you should start moonlighting. You need to get some of that experience of uh, functioning independently and um, doing some shifts. So uh, I did residency in Boston. And in one of the suburbs, there was a small community hospital that didn't see a lot of volume. Um, and it was a community hospital. So almost anybody and any patient care presentation could present, uh, all ages, mm -hmm. all stages. And you didn't have that same backup. And, you know, uh, for audience members that don't completely understand when you're moonlighting as a resident, like I was, um, old enough, so to speak, and established enough to be there as the doctor in charge, but yet I hadn't finished my training. So I wasn't used to being <laughs> the doctor in charge. You always had backup. Mm. Yep. So, uh, I, walked into the room and a father was there holding his uh, five-year-old son. And I walk in the room, talk about trust, and I immediately sort of saw his face drop. And I was mm. like, oh no. <laughs> and I, and, and you, you know what I'm talking about. You walk in the room and you're not what they want to see or expected to see. And yep. so I walk in the room and his super cute, playful son had his right index finger up in the air. And the five-year-old had successfully placed his index finger through a wooden block cylinder, and it was stuck. <laughs> so I said, okay. And so the father said, are you the doctor? I said, I'm the doctor. And I said, how can I help? And I had introduced myself, et cetera. And he said, well, um, he put his finger through this block, and we've been trying to get it off for a few hours, and we can't get it off. And I said, okay. And I said to myself, self. I like referring to myself in the third person. Um, I said to myself, I'm like, Risa, what are you going to do? And I'm like, this, is, this isn't in the textbook of like finger injuries for children or anything like that. And I had actually done a hand and wrist rotation even as part of residency, but this wasn't helping me. And I thought, okay, we, we, you know, I'm not going to force this off. Bacitrates and ointment or you know, soap and water is not going to do it. Um, I'm going to have to somehow cut the wood. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't metal. It was wood. And I thought, you know what? Um, you can use a cast cutter. And for you and or for audience who hasn't seen a cast cutter, it's actually a very scary appearing um, circular saw. And it's an oscillating mm -hmm. blade that goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. However, when you turn it on, you plug it in, you turn it on, it's a very loud buzz. It's very scary sounding. And it really does look circular like it does full circles that it's going to cut skin. But that's actually the trick of it because it oscillates back, forth, back, forth. It doesn't cut the soft tissue underneath. So uh, I went and got the 
cast cutter and the father looked at me and he's like, are you sure? Like, and I could tell he was like, oh my goodness. Like, what are you going to do to my son's <laughs> finger? And I said, yeah. And, and the, the actually son was up for it. Cause you know, he was in dad's arms and he felt okay. And Wow. Um, what I did was, um, when sometimes when people come in and their casts are too tight, they do, you do something called bivalve where you let out pressure on one side and then 180 degrees opposed to that, you let out pressure by creating a, uh, a cut on the other side and that just loosens and allows the cast to expand. And so I thought if I can do the similar mm. thing with the wood block, um, I can sort of crack the wood and let it expand. So I did that. I did a, a cut on one side, a cut on the other side, and then there's something called the cast spreader. And uh, all these words are Googleable for audience members. Like, what kind of instrument is that? <laughs> but I used the cast spreader and was able to uh, jar open the block, and it popped off his finger. And mm. uh, the dad was psyched. The finger was intact. No skin was tucked. Uh, was cut and you know the sun was fine and so I discharged them and it was a playful night and it struck me it was such a lesson in obviously getting that feeling and it wasn't the first time I'd had that feeling of like you walk in the room and you know immediately they don't trust you or there's this yep. feeling of trust yep plus also like you know you know it's his son and it's the his cute little five-year-old finger index finger that we know is the index finger the thumb are two of the most important like digits on the hand so um yep. but it was I think and I, I, I'm sure you resonate. Like, it was a lesson in actually trusting myself. And oh gosh, yes, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I don't know where that came out of my toolbox. Like, they didn't teach me that in residency or med school. Like, oh, by the way, you can use the cast cutter and the cast spreader to, you know, get the the wooden <laughs> the wooden toy off the finger. <laughs> but I was, um, I was so pleased that it was a good outcome and. And, you know, the patient and his finger were okay. And also, you 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 felt like maybe you did something for uh, womankind that the father now is like, okay, like now whoever wants. 100%. <laughs> yes. You know, like. Yeah. Like. You've, you've, you've brought in the life lens of what, you know, good doctoring looks like and, and who it looks like. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm shaking my head vigorously and touching my heart because I you know, so many of, so much of that resonates with me. Um, this is what I love about storytelling, mm -hmm. but, you know, to, to your point about trusting yourself, I think sometimes what happens when you walk into a room, um, you know, as a doctor, you know, a normal citizen, and you see a reaction um, in the sense that people, like you aren't what someone wants to see. There's, it, it's easy to bring that back onto yourself to say that I'm not enough. And you either become insecure, start to second guess, or perhaps you become, you know, defensive and you do things to try to increase your psychological size. You become, you know, a little bit more abrasive and closed off. And, you know, when you're, you put energy into those types of things, or you allow somebody else's like, kind of negativity to influence how you present it. It, it creates a vice around, you know, your, your mind and your ability to think creatively, especially in situations like that, where you really need to think outside the box. Cause my first thought was just like, yeah, page orthopedics, like let them handle it. But you know, if you're out in the community, like it's on you and um, you know, you have to really trust that you are capable of, of um, handling that, which, you know, I'm, I'm warmed by that outcome. You know, Ashley, what you just highlighted, the that energy that in, or that negativity or that allowing it to infiltrate, 
I think that is an essence of training in medicine and being in medicine that unless you experience it, you have no idea what people are talking about, how distracting that is, how much that actually mm -hmm. ends up taking up mind time and it can be absorbing. And, you know, many of us, we're just trying to provide the best care we can, right? We just want to study yeah. and be good doctors. But, you know, the, 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 the mini segment that you just provided of that distraction, imagine having that. Well, we know what it's like to be having that throughout your training, throughout your schooling, throughout your rotations, throughout your, you know, and so, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's part of self-care as well to realize, okay, that's what that is. Not now, not today. We're focusing on yep. the patient. Exactly. And you can imagine, you know, I'm, I'm envisioning this, this father who I'm sure tried so many different things before finally coming to the emergency room. And it, you know, it's also patient centered, um, to, you know, try to, um, you know, get past, get past that, that initial barrier and just do what's right by them. You know, I'm sure that that, that father did not want to take their child, like with fingers stuck in the cinder block, like to another hospital or have to wait, you know, hours for somebody else to come in when someone in front of them is clearly capable of doing what needs to be done. My gut is my relationship to crying is similar to your relationship to crying, but like, what's your relationship to crying and how has it had blossomed by, by doing this podcast with Kimberly? Yeah, I, uh, I've traditionally not been a crier. Um, and I think, you know, and I can't exactly pinpoint like how that happened, where that happened, but I think also, you know, again, this very, um, you know, habitual exercise of creating the the external self that other people that I felt like other people wanted to see. And I think that became very crystallized in medical training, um, especially in residency. I can think of maybe one or two times where I cried, um, never in public. There was once I was in a bathroom <laughs> and then maybe one other time, like when I got home, but you know, it's almost like I prided myself on being able to like take these very like tragic and like deeply like wounding experiences and like be fine. Um, and, you know, I never really been an outwardly emotional person. I just assumed that's how I was. Um, and it wasn't until kind of towards the end of residency, especially chief year, I think, um, you know, that was where I was finally kind of slightly outside of like the, the, the depths of, you know, the monthly rotation cycle and, um, you know, really kind of having to grapple with my own woundedness and how that was impacting my relationships. And once I started really, um, you know, allowing myself to be vulnerable and stop, you know, putting energy towards being who I thought everybody else needed me to be, I found myself crying more <laughs> and not uh, always in sadness. I, I, I felt like my ability to be moved was expanding and like, you know, I'll be watching like, you know, the children's choir at church and suddenly like tears are streaming down my eyes. I'm like, what is happening to me? <laughs> and, um, you know, it is just like, it, it was just so, it's just so beautiful things that um, I see things that I read. I think every time I like read a story on like the humans of New York um, uh, account, like I, I'm crying and um, you know, I, I embrace it now. I'm, I'm not quite on the Kimberly level where it's like every day and like, you know, don't matter who is witnessing, like, 
you know, but I, I feel like, um, you know, part of being able to live and breathe in an authentic and vulnerable way is also being able to expand my range of emotions and to be empathetic and, you know, to, to not be afraid of, um, afraid of that expression. It's actually healing in many respects. What a fantastic conversation. And before I get to my Risa wrap up, here's a word from the founder of the Gritty Nurse podcast. Hi, my name is Amy and I am the co-host and co-founder of the Gritty Nurse podcast, an unfiltered discussion related to health and healthcare. On our podcast, we shy away from nothing, discussing hot topics in healthcare, such as mental health, social justice, health equity, women's rights, and women's health, and nursing as a profession. Ashley is an amazing storyteller, and I listen to the podcast religiously, and I really enjoy uh, what she shares, what Kimberly shares. And I will tell you, in my own practice, when I give lectures on emergency medicine and on ultrasound uh, and on equity, I include stories, stories that are real, although the details are changed. So for those of you that are wondering, the story I shared, some of the details were changed. Um, However, the essence was the same. Stories matter. Stories matter to share with you, audience, what it's like in healthcare, how we navigate patient care, patient safety, and doing the best for the people we serve. That's it for this week. See you soon. The Visible Voices podcast amplifies voices both known and unknown, discussing topics of healthcare equity and current trends. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. You can listen on whatever platform you subscribe to podcasts. Our team includes Stacey Gitlin and Dr. Giuliano DePorto. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode, please contact me, Risa at thevisiblevoicespodcast.com. I'm based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I'm on Twitter at Risa E. Lewis. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, to be continued.